On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and I'm here with Ben Horn to wrap up the first day's action of the Boxing Day Test. How are you, Ben? I'm good, Menace. Um, bit of a strange day today, I thought, at the MCG. Uh, Australia way on top to begin with, then England called their way back. So a bit of a bizarre day, uh, you know, three for two, 44, not exactly scintillating stuff. No, so the yeah, Australia finished three for two forty four. David Warner top scoring one hundred and three. Steve Smith not out sixty five. Sean Marsh not out thirty one at stumps. Let's go back to the beginning of the day, Ben. Smith won the toss and elected to bat. In for Mitchell Stark, who is out injured, came Jackson Bird. I think that's a great reward for Jackson Bird, who's been on the sideline all year, even you know, been usurped by people from outside the touring group in India and Bangladesh. So good reward for Jackson Bird. Yeah, absolutely. He's got a very solid test record and uh, his form in the Shield matches he's played this year has been very good as well. So he offers obviously a completely different package to what Mitchell Stark does, but he definitely deserves his spot. And um, I guess in one respect, he'd be happy to be around the Australian camp, but yeah, to go 12 months being 12th man is pretty tough work. I think Bird coming in changes Pat Cummins' role more than anything. Uh, Pat Cummins probably has to take up the enforcer role that Mitch Stark used to do, and uh, Cummins will have to try and mop up the tail where Stark used to come in. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, Cummins has sort of played a bit of a dynamic role, I suppose, hasn't he? When on occasions he's been an attack dog like we saw on the last day at the Wacker, and on other occasions he's He's been a real workhorse that's sort of, uh, I guess, done a bit of what Peter, Peter Siddle used to do, just with more pace. So um, Cummins is very versatile. I think it'll suit him if Steve Smith bowls him in shorter spells and, and tries to get that explosiveness out of him. So that'll be interesting. It's going to be a tough wicket to bowl on. Um, I, I'm sort of continually disappointed with uh, the conditions at the MCG, unfortunately. They just haven't quite got the the drop-in right. And, I mean, we, we'll probably see a result here and it'll be end up being a, a good test match, but it just doesn't jump off the page uh, on day one like it does at other venues. Now, England made one change. Craig Overton was injured and in came Tom Curran. Uh, he has a bit of a link to the Marsh family, which I guess is interesting. I think he, it is his dad and Jeff Marsh are quite close, so I'm so sure there's a bit of rivalry between Tom Curran and the Marsh boys. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't heard anything about that, but I do know his old man was a big sledger in, in county cricket. Uh, Zimbabwean guy, didn't mind having a crack on the field, and we sort of saw that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree today when um, uh, Tom Curran was involved in a bit of a verbal spat with Dave Warner that bizarrely was started by Curran. Uh, I know we'll get to this in a bit, Manners, but uh, it was obviously a bit of a humiliating moment for young Curran when he, he bowled a no ball when he thought he had... Water out on 99, um, but even in that situation, he was happy to 
have a chirp. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about his relationship with the Marsh boys, but I don't think he's a guy that's uh, afraid to have a bit of a crack. Yeah, so the first session was dominated by David Warner. He just lit everything up. Um, he looked like he was playing a different game. Cameron Bancroft was struggling down the other end, but Warner did it easy. And for the viewers at home, the other highlight was Hugh Jackman went into the Channel 9 commentary box. Now, was there a bit of fervour around the media area with Hugh Jackman there? <laughs> Not on my part, no, but uh, I think yeah, I think there were some people that were getting excited about Hollywood celebrity being uh, being in the box. But yeah, I listened to a bit of his stuff. I think he's probably a better actor than he is a commentator, but he had a couple of good cricket stories and um, seems like cricket's actually played a pretty big role in his life. So he wasn't there for taken value. I think he, he was genuinely pumped to be there. Yeah, and the people online on social media were sledging uh, Channel 9, that Hugh was a better commentator than some of their regulars. So, look, it was some excitement while Australia plodded along, but let's get to that passage of play you talked about because I think this is sort of one of the most incredible passages of play all summer in the Test matches. So David Warner had been held down by Joe Root's captaincy. I mean, you can't doubt it. Joe Root's tactics worked. He slowed Warner down in the 90s, and then Warner played a false shot where he tried to sort of pull one around the corner, and he didn't quite get it. And he thought, okay, maybe he's not going to play that shot again. And then very next ball, he played the same shot, and he hit it straight up in the air and was caught. And one short of his 100, the crowd went quiet, and then it came up on the board. Tom Curran had just overstepped, and Warner, next ball, brought up his century. I mean, it was one of the most riveting passages of play I've seen for a long time. Yeah, and the crowd really got into it, man. So, I mean, all of that, it was pretty flat, to be honest. I mean, we had almost 90,000 fans there, and Warner was obviously playing superbly, but there was just a sort of predictableness to the day that was really hard to get excited about, but all of a sudden it just took off. And, uh, I mean, that's that's a heartbreaking moment for Curran. I mean, he overstepped quite convincingly, I suppose, but it's, you know, it's the barest of margins. And, yeah, it's a heartbreaking thing for him to have to deal with. But, yeah, just an incredible uh, change in emotions for both players, Warner and Curran, just experiencing the absolute opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, uh, you know, what, what, that, uh, what taking a wicket or what making a hundred can mean. So... Uh, I agree, it was amazing and, and capped off then by the, the sledging that followed. Yeah, and I sort of felt sorry for Joe Root then because he, he really did pull the right tactics and he pulled the reins and he got control of the Aussie batting. But Warner went pretty quickly after scoring his century out for 103 to Jimmy Anderson, who bowled a good delivery. I think Warner will be disappointed after giving that chance that he didn't go on and make it a big 100. It did look as though he was set for a real big one today, but... The match did change a lot in that middle session. And, you know, I suppose some of it had to do with Bancroft and Kawaja struggling a lot. Uh, those two just out of touch today. And also perhaps Warner tightened up a bit more than he usually does in the 90s. But uh, England did bowl well in that middle session. They got the ball to reverse a bit. And uh, I thought Broad and Anderson and, and Curran, for that matter, fought back well. So he would be disappointed. But the momentum of the match did change a bit at that point. But certainly the, the emotion and everything that went with getting over the line for 100 there, I suppose that perhaps was a bit more of a distraction than, than usual. Yeah, so Stuart 
Broad finally got a wicket after 69 overs of test cricket. He got Usman Khawaja 17 off 65 deliveries. And look, you've spoken about the run rates, and I want to talk about this. You we had Bancroft, Sean Marsh, um, Khawaja all really dig in and put a high price on their wicket today. And I think Steve Smith is starting to mould this batting lineup into the sort of batting lineup he wants, where people will battle away and not give their wickets away if it's a bit difficult. It's a great point, man. I mean, I kind of yeah didn't really make that in my make that point in my stories today, but it is true. I mean, uh, Kawaja and Bancroft didn't bat well today in the sense that they really struggled for rhythm on a pitch where Smith and Warner made it look easy. But having said that, there is something to say for, for you know not throwing your wicket away, and you know even though Bancroft battled. He was out there for, you know, obviously more than 100 runs with water. And in, in one sense, that's doing your job as an opener, isn't it? So I think that that's, that's true. Australia really were battling with uh, chronic batting collapses. And I guess we'll wait and see till they go overseas till we sort of declare that that period's over because that's where it's come about most often. But since Bangladesh, uh, there, there does seem to be more of a resilience there. I think Sean Marsh has been absolutely crucial in that. He's come in in some tough situations, including today, uh, and, you know, a bit of a shout for him when he was on a, on a duck as well. So, look, I think I think you're right. I think Australia has found a bit more steel with their batting, and they haven't lost wickets in clumps this summer, and that's been a key factor. Yeah, and Steve Smith has set the example the way he's uh, put such a high price on his wicket. So he's now, what, 1,093 days not out at the MCG. So surely tomorrow's... Tomorrow morning's session is so crucial to the way this test match will pan out. If Steve Smith gets in again, then England could be in for a, a long day and, and a struggle to stay in the game. Whereas if they get get him out early, then they sort of get into the the middle order in the tail. Yeah, that's right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they didn't look like getting him out today. But, you know, tomorrow's a, a new morning. It's an incredible record he's got at the MCG. Um, absolutely stunning. Um, and also the, the way that this series is going for Steve Smith. I mean, he's, he's you know on the verge of three centuries in the series, which hasn't been done by an Australian in the Ashes since Michael Slater in the mid-90s. Uh, England's had a few players who have done it. There's a handful of players headed up by Don Bradman who have made 400s in, a, in an Ashes. And, We'll wait and see whether Smith gets over the line tomorrow. But uh, if he does, then four's not out of the question for Steve Smith heading to his home ground in Sydney. So it's a remarkable series. He's did exactly the same thing in India earlier this year, and he's just a a one-man batting machine. Well, he's got two innings in both games, so he could get as many as six the way he's batting. So, Ben, what was uh, the big news coming out of the press conferences? I saw Jimmy Anderson was not too happy with the pitch. Yeah, what came out of the Aussie and English camps after the day's play? Yeah, look, uh, Dave Warner was obviously asked about, the, I guess, the theatrical circumstances around his 100 uh, and the sledging the, the cameras caught. Uh, Warner having a, a crack at Curran and, and Jimmy, uh, sorry, Johnny Bairstow, which then appeared to uh, prompt Jimmy Anderson to go to the umpires. But look, both sides really played that incident down. It was, in fact, Curran who started it, which seems bizarre given uh, the embarrassing moment he just uh, he just endured. But Curran started it with a bit of a sneaky comment to Warner at the end of the over. Warner didn't need a second invitation to bite back. And then uh, Johnny Bairstow had something to say as he ran past as well. So I guess it shows that, yeah, there's no love lost between these two teams. Uh, that's for sure. 
But uh, that was probably the main thing out of the Australian one. And, and as you mentioned, Jimmy Anderson, not happy with the pitch. And fair enough, I, I agree with him. I, I don't think it's, uh, it's what 88,000 fans deserve to see. I think out of all the pitches in Australia, this one is the one that you, uh, you really struggle with the most. We, we will probably get a result here. And, you know, we, we had a great finish to the test last year. And I know it's probably too early to judge the pitch after one day, but it, it just looks so flat. I mean, Shane Warne said it was the flattest he'd ever seen it today. Steve Smith said before the game that it looked like it was ready to play on three days ago. So that would suggest that, um, yeah, things that quite aren't quite right on that front. But, yeah, look, Jimmy Anderson was good. He, he was reasonably critical of the way Stuart Broad's bowled in this series, but praised the way he fought back a bit today. So, yeah, look, I think the match is evenly poised and, that was sort of the, the the mood of both players that, you know, as, as you touched on earlier, it's a big session in the morning. Yeah, and I guess just focusing on the pitch, the, the worry is that the pitch will just die from here and there'll be no life in it for the rest of the match. I guess the only thing Australia would be hoping for is that the, the pitch actually starts to break up a bit and Melbourne can go a bit up and down on that fifth day and with Australia batting first, that could be the perfect situation for them. Yeah, and look, that could happen. I mean, we saw... When uh, Kawaja got a couple today that, that stayed certainly reasonably low, I thought, for a day one pitch. So that's definitely on the cards. Warner was saying post-match that Mitchell Marsh was uh, was talking about a match, a shield match here earlier in the summer where basically the, the wicket just stayed rock hard for the whole four days and, and WA went a whole day without even taking a, a wicket. So um, it hasn't played well this year. Uh, hasn't been a single result here in shield cricket so far in the year but you know this could be a slightly different scenario but yeah we'll see how it goes i think australia's biggest weapon is going to be where they sit in the series i think that's 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 more the the theory if they can put a lot of runs on the board i think you know psychologically they might wear england down more than anything that the actual conditions are doing yeah i guess how much fight does england have left in them well ben thank you so much for your time today this is a magic time of year for cricket fans around the country Boxing Day bleeds into the New Year's test. It's a cricket feast. As a, a crack cricket reporter, do you enjoy this time of year? Um, I, I do. I mean, I do like Christmas. So it's always a bit hard to be getting on a fight on Christmas Day. But, yeah, it's a great occasion. I mean, as much as what I was saying there about about the MCG pitch, you can't argue with, uh, with the occasion. I mean, 90,000 people turning up to a, a day of test cricket is quite extraordinary. And, um, you know, Melbourne does big events better than better than almost anyone. So, yeah, it's a great day to beat the cricket. Well, Ben, thank you. And listeners, thanks so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. We'll be back after day two with another report. Remember, you can keep up with all the action at dailytelegraph.com.au and theheraldsun.com.au and uh, keep up with all the action there, and we'll be back tomorrow.